Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community, and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3pm to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions, or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. See, it's good when we come together as a body and we all partake. And um, it does tell us when we come to church that, you know, we bring a word, an exhortation, a psalm. So it's good for us just to be practical practitioners of our faith. And instead of leaving it all to the pastors or the elders, that we just speak a blessing over one another as a body. So anyway, last week, as we started this book of 1 Peter, David Brown, you know, opened up with the introduction to this wonderful book, as Thomas will talk quite about, you know, um, there's quite a lot of illustrations and instructions about suffering. Last week, we heard about the believers in... Um, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey today, you know. The churches around that region, they received the letter from Peter, and um, they was informed and trying to be encouraged by Peter that they have a faith, but they're sustained and upheld by God's power. They also have a wonderful inheritance to keep their focus on the end-term goal, which is the inheritance, God's kingdom. But for a time and a period, they would go through various trials, which, you know, doesn't seem to seem too good at the moment when you go through trials. But within that, it was illustrated that their faith is such more precious than fine, refined gold. And we know you have nine carat gold, 18 carat gold. I'm not sure, maybe 22 carat gold, but I know you've got 24 carat gold. And each of these qualities, they go through the refining fire to, you know, the longer through the refining fire, the more purified that goes. So really, Peter is just giving that illustration that when you go through trials and hard times, it will purify you and, and, and show that your faith is in the living God. So, um, you know, thank you, David, for that last week. And then, you know, it, it concluded with, you know, them receiving the salvation, which the prophets were talking about of old, which they waited to see. But unfortunately, it weren't for them. It was for the believers who actually received this. So this week, I'm going to continue, you know, thank you, Thomas, for reading that. I'm going to continue from verse 13 to 25. But before I do that, I just want us to possibly try and imagine. I just want to give us a little illustration just to see how it relates to us. I know for myself, and hopefully it relates to some of you as well, maybe when some of us was young, quite a few of us young in here still, but just consider there may be a time when you may have been at junior school or secondary school or even at college or uni. You may have found and, um, you know, acknowledged some friends or peers or groups that you considered I like this person, I like their style, I like the things that they do. This person makes me laugh. I find them good company. I want to hang out with them. I want to be a part of their crowd. But maybe some of us had found that our parents who was trying to look out for us and try to counsel us and advise us, you know, the right way to walk and the people that we should hang around with. Some of us may have found that our parents 
or even our good friends. It may have been a girlfriend or a boyfriend. One of our good friends might have thought, you know, no, I don't think that person's the right one for you. Or our parents would say, I don't want you hanging out with that group of people or that friends. Anybody experience anything like that growing up? Yes, quite a few of us, we experience that. That's a real thing. Now, the idea is hopefully, it's like a parent want their child to grow up within the image of, you know, the way the parent has tried to school them and train them and teach them to go up. Likewise, a friend, a friend that loves their friend and they consider, you're my friend. I know you've got great qualities, but I think this person is not really going to appreciate you. So that's the idea really is that, you know, the friend or the parents want you to be set apart for what they believe is something better. So as we go through these verses, I'm hopefully going to draw out what Peter is trying to communicate to the believers, that there is something better for them. And um, being a believer, he's trying to help them to get an image and a picture of what the identity of Christians, of believers, should look like in the world. So we, we, we start with the first verse. I'm kind of going to do a David Brown and expository line by line, you know, go through each verses, but I'll clump a few together. Um, Milton. Yes. Come on. So, verse 13, we look at that. So, therefore, so therefore, as you know, I think you've done your community groups in the week. Wherever there's a therefore, there's a wherefore. So, it's considering what we heard last week that was preached to us. And um, as I just, you know, went over, it's talking about what was told to them, particularly on verse 10, you know, concerning their salvation. So with the inheritance that they have, their faith and the trials that they go through, you know, concerning their salvation, that's what it's based on. So therefore, with all of this information, now Peter is going to give them, um, you know, a description, an image of how they should conduct themselves. It tells them to be alert and sober-minded Alert, some versions, ESV may say, you know, prepare your mind for action. What does that really look like, you know? I'd consider, you know, being alert, being attentive. We know when you're not alert and when you're not attentive, you know, things can pass you by. You can find yourself in trouble, you know, you could get injured. So being alert, being attentive is having the right mindset, you know, and probably I would say, looking at life in a way that reality really presents itself. So no false pretense. Life can give us false pretense. It can make us feel that we're something that we are not really. You know, life has a standards. It's a secular way of life. You know, it lifts some people up. It belittles some people, you know, and you really can get a false pretense from what life presents to you. But having your mind prepared for action Hopefully, that is preparing you to be discerning and knowing that life, it poses many challenges, it poses many trials, there's struggles, there's ups, there's downs, and that is the reality of life in a fallen world that we live in. Also, sober-minded, being sober-minded, we know if you're not sober-minded, your senses and discernment is not in the right place. So being sober-minded helps, again, for you to be alert, attentive, and look at things in the right way, especially as a child of God being born again. And that leads you to have your hope fully set on the grace of God. 
That is the hope that we have. That's the hope that he tries to communicate to them. We can often, I say for myself, maybe we all relate, but we can often forget the hope that we have when trials come our way. None of us are exempt from that. We can sometimes tend to look to others. We sometimes tend to look for things that come for us. And our hope needs to ultimately be in God, in the grace of God, knowing that he will never leave us or forsake us. God's grace, I'd say, it isn't for the past. Many of us have experienced that. We've experienced times and situations where we've been in hardship. We can look back and we can acknowledge God's grace upon our life, how he's got us through. God's grace is not just for the future, though we look for God's grace and the fullness of it, the completeness of it, and the revelation of Jesus Christ. But God's grace is here, even in the present, as much as we breathe and we sit down and we have the liberty, the joy to gather together as believers to fellowship. So God's grace is something that we ultimately look for the fulfillment at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But his, God, his grace is sufficient and is here for us. And he goes on, once he tells them about their grace that will be bought fully in completion when Jesus Christ arrives. So having the right mindset when we go through trials, that is something very important. I know myself probably a month ago, I found myself in a situation at work where I was very utterly surprised in a situation happened. And um, I had a meeting with Thomas, David and Louise, uh, elders meeting. I sat there, I kept my composure as best as I possibly could. I'm not sure if they acknowledged that, you know, Andrew wasn't functioning the way he should be functioning. You know, sometimes you hold things to yourself. But afterwards, I got Thomas and I spoke with him and we went for a nice long walk. And, and Thomas gave me some counsel and he gave me some support. So it helped to steady the ship. And um, yeah, that's very important because if you don't have somebody who can give you godly counsel, it can easily push you into a place where you're trying to figure things out, where you might find that you look for, you know, support in the wrong avenues. So, um, yeah, it's very important to be with the household of God and have the right counsel when we set our hope on Christ. So he goes on to verse 14. He says, as obedient children, as obedient children, obedient children, clearly God is our father, so you know, Peter wants them to acknowledge that God is our father. And obedient children, hopefully they bear the image of their family members. As for believers, our image is to bear the resemblance of our father. While living as exiles on the earth. So it's clear again last week that was touched on. While living as exiles on earth. We know that people get exiled. You have some politicians, people in countries when they're exiled from their homeland. So for us as believers, it's clear, it makes it known that we are exiles. So we're thankful, we're grateful for God for all that we have. I'm really grateful. This earth is the Lord's, a fullness store of it. I'm grateful for what I have. I think I'm rather fortunate, but I'm aware that life poses a lot of challenges and hardship for many people, I'm grateful. But at the same time, I know I'm just on a journey. So that's why I say I'm, I'm grateful because for the moment, the time I'm here at this moment, 
I believe I'm fortunate, but I know this is my, not my lot and this is not my end all. So it's important for believers to know that while we are here, we are only here temporarily. We are exiles. So as Peter is communicating to them in their trials and in their struggles and their difficulties, they are exiles, so there is still an expectation of them. And he encouraged the believers to fight the desires, you know, to not conform to the evil desires they once had when they were living in ignorance without Christ Jesus, which many of us can bear witness to before I came to know Jesus. You know, we was all in that place, living in ignorance according to our philosophies, our thoughts and um, the ways of this world. They are reminded and exhorted to conduct themselves as obedient children of God and not to continue walking in their old ways, which they did before they knew Christ. I just said that. Unfortunately, since Genesis chapter 3, as we all know, the fall, Adam and Eve, we can often again struggle to see ourselves. I can sometimes. I can struggle to see myself in the light and in the image of how God looks upon me. When we encounter trials again, you know, those struggles become really difficult. Our vision can sometimes seem blurred and we might not see ourselves in the way God sees us, but we tend to see ourselves more so of the old man or the old woman in the lives that we used to live in when we lived in ignorance without God in our life. So, verse 15 and 16, we see Wiley encourages them not to be conformed to the evil desires. Unfortunately, because in this world, there is many battles on our forefront. There's battles with our flesh. In this tent that we live in, our flesh has desires. We have to battle with that. We have to battle with the world, the media, the TV, music, just outside. We have to battle. We have to contend with what society wants to show to us. And we also have to battle with our mind. That's why we have to renew our mind. So this is what he says to them, you know, that they mustn't conform to the easel desires. So with that, he brings them to a place where he says in 15 and 16, but just as he, God, who called you is holy, you are also called to be holy. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So Peter takes that language from the Old Testament. Hebrew is a unique language. When it comes to word studies, every word carries the meaning of the root word that it derives from originally. In this way, the Hebrew word for holy is Kodesh. I hope I'm saying that right. And um, it comes from the root word, which is Kadesh. Again, I hope I said that right. Maybe if somebody can help me to say it better, that'd be great. But Kodesh comes from the root word is Kadash. In simpler terms, it means to be set apart for a specific purpose. So holy means to be set apart for a specific purpose. It is something set apart from everything else in order to do a job or fulfill a calling in Israel's case. And that's where we take it from. We hear it from in Exodus 19.6, as God says to Moses to talk to them that, you know, Israel will be 
for God, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Leviticus also says that again, where it tells them to consecrate themselves to be holy because God is holy. So God was calling them to be set apart so that they could be holy unto him to serve his purpose. The believers are also encouraged amidst their trials to be set apart for God. God is set apart from all things and he calls us to himself. As he is holy, we are also called to be holy. I'd say fulfilling God's call to be holy requires that we are set apart unto him, separated from the past ignorant ways, break off the lifestyle of the world and to walk as obedient children. Further to this, 2 Timothy 21, it says, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honor, honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house for every good work. Just as we have various objects set apart to do various things, an illustration, some of us may have, for instance, a special tea or coffee cup that is set apart. That is used specifically to have your tea or specifically to have your coffee. If you're using it to drink water, it's not for the purpose of drinking water, though you can use it for water. That cup that I bought my wife, I buy my wife cups, she likes cups. She has it specifically for her tea. That's the purpose for the cup. So holy is being set apart for a specific purpose. And that's the idea here. Ephesians chapter 2.10, most of us know that off by heart. We are predestined, foreordained by God to do his good works in Christ Jesus. So before the foundation of this earth, God set us apart to do his good works in Christ Jesus. That's set apart. We also see this in the Gospels. We see a thread of this in the Gospel. We see this with Joseph. We see this in Genesis. Joseph was set apart. He went through great difficulty, but he served his purpose. We see this with Moses. Things may not have started out so well. Well, it did in the palace, but also, you know, he had to run away. But he served his purpose. God set him apart for a specific purpose. We see that go on. We see with Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, you know, serving God, you know, figure nobody's listening to me, but he was set apart to do the Lord's will. And then we ultimately, we, we see that with the Apostle Paul, the New Testament. And then ultimately, we see Jesus, the perfect example of somebody being set apart to serve the Father's will. Now, how important is being holy to our Christian life, we may think? Well, Hebrews 12, 14 tells us, make every effort to live in peace with one another and to be holy Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Verse, verse, verse 17. God is our Father. We call on our Heavenly Father. We thank God that he's our Father and revealed himself to us as our Father. It tells us that God judges each person's work impartially. So he does that without showing favor. Our faith and trust in God will cause us to be obedient children. That's what I greatly believe. I believe when we truly take God for who he reveals himself to be, 
we will really seek to be obedient children because we will really acknowledge and trust that God can provide for us no matter how difficult it is for these believers in Asia Minor suffering persecution, disorientated, in distress. Why? Why are we suffering this persecution, they may have thought? Why are we going through this? We believe in God, Yahweh. We've heard about him, defeated his enemies. We believe in Jesus. Why are people persecuting us? What have we done to deserve this? But Peter brings this in to make us aware. We know in scripture it says, to much whom is given, much is required. And I think the much is just even having Jesus Christ in our lives, knowing him as Lord and Savior, that is much, that's weighty. That, that's weighty. That's weighty. So our faith and trust in God will cause us to be obedient children, verse 14, which in turn gives us our convictions about God and who he is. That will help each and every one of us to stand, to know the God that we profess and who we believe in. The recipient of this letter, who received this letter, were to be aware that God will judge and reward them according to what they do while journey on this earth as um, exiles. And that is the same for us. So, you know, it is acknowledged and we're so grateful for the Redeemer family who give their time to serve this church, this community, in whichever way they do that. We are so grateful and we're so thankful because we are a body. It's not a one-man team or show. Christ is the head of this church. You know, he does distribute gifts within the body. And the aim is hopefully that, you know, as a body, we will encourage one another that those gifts will come out, that we can serve one another better. Then ultimately, it's for us to serve our community. It's for us to serve those who do not know the Lord as we do. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us again that we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one will receive what is due for what they have done in the body. That's whether good or whether bad, they will be judged and get a reward for whatever they've done. Romans 14, 10 to 12 continues that and says, each of us will give an account of himself to God. And we know God is good. We know we can stand. You know, we profess Jesus Christ. So we're all right there. You're okay there. So don't, you know, God doesn't want you there. But it's just a matter of, um, you are bearing his image. You know, Jesus Christ is our treasure. And how are we living that out? And the Bible talks about there's rewards for those who are faithful. So it's just in that term. But don't worry, we're all heaven bound. You know, Jesus, let, you know, let us just know there's a mansion waiting for us. So we're good. But, you know, it's just a spur on which, again, if we're going to 2 Peter, I think you touched on last week, David, but if we're going to the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1, it talks about God giving us exceeding and great and precious promises. What a God. He gives us exceeding and great and precious promises. Why? So we can be partakers of his divine calling, having escaped the corruption of this world. So look at God. Look what he's doing, giving us little incentives. That's a wonderful God that we serve. So while we live our lives on earth, we are to remember this life is temporary. We are here on a journey until we are present with the Lord 
So being again sober-minded, let us continue to seek the will of the Lord for us and his people. Question I want to pose. How does it comfort you to know that God will someday judge everybody's work? So that's just a personal question to you because one day he will have a standing just to give an account. So, you know, walking as his child, as an obedient children, you know, yeah, one day we will give an account for that. So verse 18 to 21. But you know that it was not perishable things such as silver or gold. So we are redeemed. So this again is the imagery of back in Exodus, you know, when he took the children of Israel out of Egypt. So that's that imagery, you know, they were redeemed by the blood of Jesus. So there is a comparison here. So we see um, we was ransomed or we was redeemed from the empty ways of life, which, you know, it says we inherited from our whether forefathers or our ancestors. So this gives a mindset of thinking that he's speaking to Gentiles rather than he's speaking to the Israelites who had a covenant so they can know their ancestors, forefathers. They had the covenant with God, so, you know, they have something. But Gentiles, on other terms, they didn't have that. So they would have inherited these, um, you know, these ignorant ways from their ancestors, forefathers, and so forth. Um, yeah, so we go on to see that, um, yeah, inheriting those ways, we know that all people were, you know, David says in Psalms 51.5, behold, I was conceived in sin. So we all entered into this world in sin. But, you know, the gracious thing is that many people, you know, we was raised up in a stable Christian family. You know, I wasn't, but, you know, so therefore there is people that have inherited that blessing by being raised up in a household where they heard Christian doctrine to guide them in the right way. At the same time, this relates to everybody that, you know, we were redeemed, not with perishable things. Silver and gold, they're precious metals, but they are perishable. They're perishable meaning that when the heavens and earth wipes away, they're perishable. Because I believe silver and gold, even gold, maybe you could drop it in the ocean and it's in there for centuries but you probably could go down there and you could still find it and clean it. Gold is a precious metal, but it will perish when heaven and earth perishes. So we see in verse 20, it talks about Jesus. He was chosen before the creation of the world. So we know in Genesis, again, those who know their Bible, we know that, you know, God is a God, you know, there's a, there's a picture of the Trinity there and, and Jesus was with him. We see, you know, when God says, let us, so we, we see that, let us make man and, and, and woman in our likeness. So um, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, it helps us to, to see, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, so he's talking about the Israel lineage because God spoke to their fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the hearer of all things, that is Jesus, through whom also he created the world. We know God created the world, but you see, he done it through Jesus. Jesus and God are one. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. 
and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So we see, as Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus and God are one. Peter speaks about us being redeemed, ransomed from the presence of God. Yes, so that reference, as I said, is back to, you know, the picture of the Exodus. Though Jesus, sorry, through Jesus, they believed in God. This is also true for us as professing Christians. We believe in God through Jesus Christ. As Jesus makes it clear, no one comes unto the Father but by me. Very clear. Many people in society, you know, um, I, I, as an evangelist, as I know many people in here like to go out and evangelize and meet people, I have many conversations with people. There's many people that I've met that say that they believe in God, but they fail to acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. So they do not have a relationship with a father. They don't know God because God reveals himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Yes. And the entire plan of redemption is for those who believe in God through acknowledging Jesus as their Lord and Savior. All who believe in God will not be disappointed because their faith and hope has been substantiated, meaning evidence to support or prove the truth of God being who he said he is. I mean, that's evidence to us all here, though many would fail to believe that evidence, but it's evidence to us. It's evidence to me. I didn't, I was not born in a Christian family, a Christian home, but it's evidence to me that hearing people stopping me throughout my journey in life and telling me about Jesus, telling me that God loves me, telling me I'm a sinner, though I had my own ideas who God was, but in God's own appropriate time, he made himself known to me. And what I read in the text yeah, it bears witness to what God's done in my life. My life is totally turned around from what it used to be. So, you know, it's substanti substantiated. Yeah, the evidence is just there, but it's for those who really want to know the truth. Then we see verse 22. We see that he, he says, Peter says to them that, so, by obeying the truth, what happens? Speak to me. Let me hear some voices. What happens by obeying the truth? What does it say? Sorry? Sincere love. Okay. By obeying the truth, you have sincere love for one another. That's correct. But... Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. So by obeying the truth, yeah, you will have sincere love for one another. But also by obeying the truth, you have purified yourselves. That you may have, that you have sincere love for one another. And it's great to see that demonstrated, the pure love that we have for one another in terms of the love that we have for a pastor and Elizabeth. The love that we have for one another because we know... Um, Reese, he regularly sends out prayer requests. So, you know, that, that's love that we have for one another to lift and uphold one another in prayer. And that is a requirement of believers to demonstrate that as hard as it can be to sometimes engage and love people that look different to you, that are from different social 
you know, cultural backgrounds, that this is a requirement because we're not of the world. This is the image of a believer. We're called to love one another. That forces us to push beyond our social circles. And this is what God is calling his people to do. We know scripture will tell us, um, you know, John 13, Jesus say, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. He also says that, you know, by the love that we have for one another, that's how people will tell that we're God's disciple. Why is that? Because it's hard for the world. It's hard for the world to love one another. It's easy for them to love those who they can relate to, but it's hard for people to love people who are from different backgrounds, different cultural, ethnic backgrounds. But I'm convinced it's only the church can demonstrate that to show the world what it will look like with different people from different social, economical, and cultural backgrounds together. People will look and see what is going on there. And the hope is that will be appealing and attractive to people to see that the living God dwells with us and amongst us. Love also is demonstrated through giving. Giving others our time, spending time to listen to them and being with them. Giving resources, support, help and assistance. And clearly God demonstrates this in John 3.16. God so loved the word that he gave. He gave. Love is action. We give. I'd say holy living. Holy living is incomplete if it is not accompanied by love. To be a Christian means to have a sincere love for one another. This is only possible and only expected of those who have been born again by the eternal word of God. We know it's not an easy thing, but God is able to do all things and this is how he works through those who we set apart. I'm going to tell a quick story about um, a friend of me and my wife, who we call Mother Sarah. She had a son, Zach, who was attacked in London many years ago. He died at school, on the premises of the school. Some other youths came on there. They attacked him. They mistook his identity for somebody else, stabbed him and killed him. Um, at that time, I was also a community chaplain working in a young offender's prison. So I, I, I met the accused. I met the accused at the time, you know, um, while I was doing my job in the prison. Um, eventually, they got sentenced as they should do. They were guilty. But this mother, Mother Sarah, we call her, you know, the love that she has, which is God's love, she acknowledged that her son's life was taken away from her, but she just acknowledged the youth out there in society are living in ignorance. They're walking in darkness, you know. It's like um, when God says Job to Nineveh, they don't know they know their right from their left hand. So, you know, she made it a she made it a plan to really seek to get to meet those who killed her son. She did meet them. She spoke with them. But out of that, the Lord has given her a ministry where she goes into schools and she goes into prisons to talk to young youth, young people, because she knows that they are going through so much things that, you know, some of them don't have the right foundation. They are walking in ignorance. So, you know, she's trying to help them to learn to 
express themselves in the right way. Because if you don't, what you've got in you is going to come out one way or another. You know, it will come out one way or another. So, you know, um, through her love for them, the God has blessed her to do, to do that. And that's just wonderful. Again, a question. Do we love others as God commands us to? Do we even love others in the way God has shown his love to us? God's love is everlasting. And again, if that's the case, or even consider what keeps us from loving others, that's just a question for us. The last few verses, verse 23 to 25. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So we know God's word is living. Matthew 24, verse 35, it makes us known. Heaven and earth will pass a one way one day, no matter how hard that might be to conceive at this moment in time. This is all I've ever known. Earth. I can look up in the heavens. I cannot really conceive what it will look like for earth and heaven to pass away. I can't. I do know the Bible tells me I has not seen, ear has not heard the things that God has in stores for those who love him. But I cannot conceive or imagine. But if God says it, his word is everlasting. Heaven and earth will pass away. But God's word will remain. God's word will never die. God's word never changes. The word of the Lord endures forever. We see the analogy, we see in verse 24... All people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. So we can see, you know, we're not born of perishable seeds. Perishable seed is human nature. You know, we're here, we live for a moment, but, you know, we pass away still. You know, especially if you're not born again, you will just wither away. We see the glory of the grass. You see a nice green field. It looks beautiful to run on that field, to lie down. The beautiful grass is even soothing. To see the plants blossom as well, it looks beautiful. My wife loves plants. No, sorry, flowers. It looks beautiful, but after a time, they wither away. It's the same here. I'm looking at the beauty of God's creation. I know that those who trust in the Lord here today, you're never going to pass away. Of course, you're going to inherit and have a new body. You will do. But I look at God's creation. It's just beautiful when I look at you. You're God's creation bearing God's image. You will live and spend eternity with him. But the body will, of course, decay. So you will get a new body. So this is what he's communicating. But because God's word dwells within you, you will live for eternity. And 25, verse 25. And this is the word that was preached to you. So it was preached to you by your parents. It was preached to you by a missionary or just preached to you by a Christian or God himself revealed it to you. So as Peter speaks to those in Asia Minor, it was preached to them and they came to know and receive Jesus and their Lord and Savior. So with all of those instructions that Peter gives to them about the identity of a believer, despite all the trials, the hardships, the hurts and the pains that they gain through, they know they have an inheritance. But while you are still journeying it, there's an expectation for you to be set apart to God and there's a requirement 
of how you conduct yourself and you do display that love to the brethren, the family of God. We are called and chosen and set apart to live a life that glorifies God. Part of this high calling is for us to be witnesses so others will hear the good news of this glorious gospel that we preach that testifies of Jesus Christ being Lord and Saviour. Peter encourages his readers that they heard God's word preached to them and believed. Likewise, we also heard and believed. Gil, do you want to come up now? So the application with all what I've just shared with you is clear. I hope it's clear. I'm trying to help us to see. God is helping us to see what our lives should look like. He expects us to be obedient children. So we do that. Thomas will help us next week to hear what that looks like. How do we attain that? He wants us to set our hope on the grace of God that will be revealed to us at the end time. We're also to love one another. Love covers a multitude of sin and love really affirms us and encourages us. I hope our love that we've shown to our brother Thomas, to our pastor Thomas, has encouraged him that when he goes back to his wife, Elizabeth, there can be something contagious that she consents in him to know while she's missing her family, her spiritual family, her mother's here, but while she is missing being present with us to worship, the Lord can just minister to her and give her some form of joy until she comes to be back with us. So I say, let us seek to be doers of God's word and not hearers only. Let us seek to be sober-minded, to really look at life for how it presents itself to us. Let's not be deceived by the superficial lies and the deceit to make us feel that we're superior, we're doing better than we really are. Let us make sure we're hearing what God says to us and we can demonstrate to a world who is unfortunately living in darkness. For God has called us to be holy. He really has called us to be set apart. He really wants to use us and work and show himself through us. Amongst the daily challenges of our life, let's know that he has a specific work for us. And I will say, also, let us always try and seek to remember God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. Let's not forget that. No matter what we're going through, no matter how dark things look, no matter how we're bewildered, let's try and remember that God really, really is good. We praise Him. We sing about that. Let's really seek to remember God is good and all the time He's good. So even in the down moments, the hurtful moments, the painful moments, as we see within this letter, God is still good and he hasn't forgotten them. Finally, the conclusion. Jesus is the answer to us having the hope we all need to sustain us throughout our life's trials and sufferings. And for us to live a life set apart wholly unto God as he calls us to be holy unto him. Jesus came 
he suffered persecution, he endured trials, he took our shame, our guilt, our failures, and all of our sins upon himself. So that anyone, that is anybody who places their trust in the Lord to be their Lord and their Savior will be saved from eternal separation from God who created all things and called all things to be holy, set apart unto him. If there is anybody in here today and does not, who does not have that peace and assurance that God is with them and they would like to be set apart to be with God, to know God on a personal level. All it is, is a prayer to him. You can do that in your own time. You can do that anywhere. You can do that on the bus while you're walking down the street. God knows the hearts of all mankind. So it's for you to, um, to receive God's personal invite and his invitation. So I'm going to end there and I hope that we have it in our minds that God calls us to be holy. He's actually calling us to say, remember, I've set you apart. I called you to be mine. I want to walk with you. I want you to walk with me. I want to talk with you. I want you to talk with me. I have something specifically just for you to do what I'm setting you apart to do. So if you give me that time, God himself will reveal it all to you in his time. Let us pray. Father God, thank you that you are a loving God. Lord, thank you. Your word makes us know that your steadfast love endures forever. Lord, my prayer is that you help us when we encounter trials, difficulties. Lord, help us by your spirit to remember you, to remember your promises, to keep our eyes set upon you. Help us, Lord, to find it in our hearts somehow to praise you and to just cast all our burdens upon you so that you alone will sustain us. Lord, I pray for those that might be going through difficult times now. I pray again, Lord, that they would be reminded of your grace. I pray that they would be reminded to lift their eyes up to you and rest and wait upon you so that you can renew their strength. Lord, thank you that we can gather today. Thank you for joining us and being here in the midst of us, Lord. So we just give the rest of this day to you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.